You're listening to episode 109 of the Writing Life podcast from the National Centre for Writing, a weekly podcast for anyone who writes. I'm Simon Jones. And I'm Steph McKenna. And it's Wednesday, 26th of August, 2020, here in Norwich. So, Steph, how has your week been? Uh, it's been not too bad, thank you. It's a bit it's a bit wet and glum outside now, isn't it? I think summer's done, isn't it? Yeah, we're in autumn territory, but uh managed to get out of the house this morning for a little coffee, so that was very nice. How about you? Yeah, not too bad. Looking forward to our small return to Dragon Hall, which is Ooh, coming up. Me too, so much. So we've all been working from home since March, basically. But uh, we're going to do kind of small-scale team-based returns to the office soon, which will be very exciting. I can't wait to see everyone in person rather than on yes. a screen. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Like, I think we've all got used to the Zoom stuff, but you still can't can't quite beat a real, real person in the same room as you. <laughs> exactly. Think of all the takeaway coffees we can get together. Exactly. That is the main reason to go to the office, after all. I mean, that is the point in working. Yes. So what have we got coming up? Noirage is getting booked up very quickly. It is, yeah. So some of the online creative writing workshops we've got um, as part of Noirage are filling up very quickly. So Elizabeth Haynes's workshop on writing historical fiction is fully booked. It's gone. I know, all gone. It went at lightning speed. But we do still have places on Jacob Ross's workshop on creating memorable characters, which I think would be suitable for any fiction writer, not just crime writers. And also Duncan Campbell's workshop on researching and writing true crime. So there's a few places left on each, but I would recommend getting booked onto them as soon as possible before they sell out. Yes, and those are taking place over the weekend of Noirage, which is the 10th to the 13th of September. They are, and they're online on Zoom. We can send you all the instructions to get you set up, um, and you can take part anywhere in the world, so there's really no excuse. What else is happening? So I'm very excited because on Thursday I'm recording a podcast with Flo. So Flo's been on the pod a few times in the past talking about various projects that they're working on like the book lab and nnf and the drop-in writing sessions but this time they're coming on to talk about their own work because Flo is also a poet and that is what they do outside of working at the writer center um, Flo has had work published and has lots of stuff coming up and i'm going to be talking all about how to get published as a poet and hopefully we can answer some questions and shatter some myths and give people a good idea about how to get their work out into the world. Uh, if you have any questions you'd like to ask Flo, you can do that over on our Discord community. Uh, you can find a link down in the show notes if you're not already a part of it. And if you're not, why not? Why not? Come over. We're all hanging out over there now. Yeah, we're all very nice. We are. We are. We're friendly. And finally, we have three brand new events, online events that we've just announced, which are completely free to sign up and watch. And these are part of our regular Meet the World series. And pre-pandemic, Meet the World often coincided with the writers and residents, the writers and translators that we had at our cottage at Dragon Hall. And the events aim to celebrate our ongoing connections with those international writers and translators by sharing their writing and their ideas with new audiences. Of course, at the moment, these events are taking place online, but that is lovely because it means more people can get involved. Um, so if you head over to the National Centre for Writing website under What's On and click on Meet the World, you'll see these three events which are coming up in September and October. We've got uh, the launch of a series of new Dutch writing chapbooks with Strangers Press, which is very exciting. We've got an event to coincide with International Translation Day, which is called 
who is this mythical English reader, which I really like the title of. <laughs> and we've also got European writers on war and conflict. These are completely free to sign up and watch. You just have to head over to the event and hit book now and we will send you a direct streaming link. So much good stuff. So much going on. And it's only going to get busier, Simon. Exactly, exactly. If you're not signed up to our newsletter already, you really should because it's the best way to keep in touch with everything that's coming up and make sure you don't miss out on anything. You can sign up to that over on the website as well. Steph sends out one every week, don't you? I do. Hard at work. It's my baby. Okay, so today's episode. What have we got on the show, Steph? So today's episode is an interview with myself and Oki Chukunuzulu, who is a writer and a teacher that we've been working with recently after his debut novel, The Private Joys of Nena Maloney, was shortlisted for the Desmond Elliott Prize. This was his debut novel, and it also was the winner of a 2020 Betty Trask Award. It was also shortlisted for the Betty Trask Prize and the Polar First Book Prize. So it's it's creating a lot of buzz. Everyone's got a lot of amazing things to say about it. And it is a really, really enjoyable, rewarding read. So uh, I caught up with Oki a couple of weeks ago and we spoke about the demands of balancing writing and teaching because he's a he's a full-time English teacher as well as a writer. And we spoke about the private joys of Nena Maloney and the themes of the book, which include race and identity and family, the use of comedy in the book and the effect of lockdown on his writing and his reading. So over to my my chat with Oki. Oki, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for joining me this morning. <laughs> Thank you so much. It's so nice to be here. Lovely to have you. So we've spoken to you before a bit about the process of plotting your novel for our free yeah. Early Career Awards resources. And you were also shortlisted for the 2020 Desmond Elliott Prize, which was run by us for the first time this year. So congratulations. Thank you so much. Thank you. But it's lovely to have you back um, on the podcast this time to discuss your writing in a little bit of depth and particularly to discuss your debut novel, The Private Joys of Nena Maloney, which is fantastic. Um, to start, tell us a little bit about yourself. So give us a Oki in a, in a nutshell. <laughs> um, I am so I'm a teacher I live in Manchester I teach high school English as my sort of um, not when I'm writing job um, I've lived in Manchester pretty much my whole life really apart from university um, and I love it here I am redacted years old now I'm 31 um, and <laughs> yeah um, <laughs> The Private Choice of Nanam Loney is my first book um, I've always written but um, this was like the first concerted effort to like make a book and it took a long time so um yeah mm. that, that's me so I was going to ask you actually about your kind of the the beginning root of your writing when did you first discover that you were passionate about writing is it something that you've always done in one way or another yeah in one way or another I've always written um I've definitely experimented with different kinds of writing so I've written poetry before and drama um but I've just mm. always liked writing and um it was just it seemed like the natural thing to do. This sounds so corny, but after I, you know, when I was really, really little, learned to, learned to write and learned to literally write sentences and words, it just seemed like the natural thing to do. It seemed like, well, that's just what you do with words. That's what you're supposed to do. Mm. So I, I think like a lot of writers, I started off by writing like ridiculous, <laughs> like, um, you know, stories that the children write about, um, like um, yeah. sto stories that, you know just come to you um without thinking in a very like spontaneous um unplanned way and I guess as I grew up mm. I 
hopefully I've matured my style of writing since then, <laughs> but I've also <laughs> hopefully um, tried to think a lot more about what it is I'm writing for and why I want mm. to do this thing. It's not, I mean, it's, it still comes naturally sometimes, but it's also definitely a lot of hard work and involved with that is why do I want to tell the story that I'm telling? What is it that I cannot not say? Um, and that's been a really interesting part of the journey for me. Like with um, this first book of mine, I've been, I was really focused on writing about the connect, the interconnectedness of human experience a lot and how lots of different mm. people who have very different experiences need each other and are connected to one another and impact one another. Um, and also I'm really interested in difference and vulnerability um like all of the characters mm. and i'm sure we'll get onto this later but um all of the characters in some way have some kind of vulnerability that makes life difficult for them they have to navigate um and i've just i'm just really interested in how people find their way through those things what was your so when did you start writing this book in particular was this you said it's been a it's a long while in the making has it been a few years has it been yeah. something that you've been chipping away at over time yeah, it really was. I um I was 21 or 22 when I started writing this and I was 30 oh, wow. when it was published. Yeah, so it yeah, was Yeah, so it's been a decade. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, a long time, a really long time. And you know, there was a year when I was doing my teacher training as um when I was doing my PGCE, there was a year when I just I think I wrote maybe two or three words over that entire year because I had zero wow. time to write anything that mm. wasn't a school report or red pen comment on someone's work um but yeah um over that over those sort of nine eight years I wrote it and rewrote it so many times and thought about giving up and then went back to it and I had to think about what I was trying to do and how to do it better and yeah it was a really long journey um but I think I just someone gave me some really good advice that often the best thing you can do is just to keep going um, and just to not give up them. And that really helped me, that really helped me sort of um, to get to where I am, to, to the point of publication, because it made me, I think when you, when you do just not give up, you have to think about where you're directing your energy. So I thought, okay, I'm writing this thing, but I can't just keep writing it. I want it to be better and I want it to be funny and I want it to be this and I want it to be that. So that was some, a really good piece of advice, which I'd definitely pass on to anybody else who's writing. That's great. I mean, yeah, you sometimes, you know, you see the end result, your final book, it's out there in the world. And that's such a lovely feeling. But mm. I think when people are in the process of writing that book or, you know, whatever it is, it can be it can be a bit of a slog. It's not exactly always glamorous, is it? So <laughs> no. it's I guess. You occasionally, you know, you see people who say like, oh, I just knocked out this book in like three months and then it just, you know, people. I got published. The, yeah, the first person I met in the, you know, in publishing <laughs> said they wanted to publish it and it was great. But actually for a lot of people, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's a slog. Definitely, absolutely does. And I think especially if you're writing when you're younger, so I was writing this in my 20s, mm. you know, you change so much in that time. You learn so much about yourself in that time. You, you change the way you think about the world. You develop things, you learn things. Um, you know, I changed careers partway through. I went from working mm. for a small publisher to working um, as an English teacher, two completely different jobs. Mm. Um, and of course, you know, my life experience changed me and the way I think about things and the people that I'm around. I, you know, for my working job now, pre-pandemic anyway, most of my time is spent <laughs> with teenagers. Um, so that's mm. a massive change. And so I think that it's inevitable, certainly for me, that, as you change your writing will change 
I wanted to ask you about uh, balancing your your writing and your teaching work because I mean teaching is such a demanding profession as you say and you know it takes up all your time it's not just like oh you guys get six weeks off during the summer lucky (laughs) you you know it is a really heavy going job how do you manage to balance the demands of writing and teaching on a day-to-day basis? Yeah, it's very hard. You're right. Teaching is a very, very demanding job because, um, you know, <laughs> unless you're somebody like, I think it was William Golding who used to sort of get yeah. his students to sort of, oh, just turn to page 50 and copy it all out and don't talk to me. And then he'd sort of just write his novel in front of his unlearning children. Um, <laughs> unless you do that. The best type of teachers, yeah. Absolutely, yeah. It's, it's how I was trained. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's um, unless you do that, you are... You, you do have to spend a lot of time and energy really giving the best of yourself to the children in front of you because not just because that's what you're paid to do but also because that's what you're there to do I think it's true for most teachers that you're in the job because you really want to help the children in front of you you really want to do your best for those students and it is really and the thought of not doing that is really painful actually so it is a really difficult balance and I just have to sort of be very um disciplined with myself in both jobs I think of them both as two jobs that I love and I'm passionate about and I'm very fortunate to have but they are two jobs and that means that I can't or I I can't leave everything to sort of chance and when I feel like doing it I have to make sure that the work gets done at sensible times so um with teaching especially (laughs) what it's often said about teaching that teaching is like a gas and that it will fill any space that you allow it to fill if you are (laughs) yeah because if you're not really careful and you don't sort of set boundaries for yourself then you will find yourself marking until the wee hours of the morning and then planning until you go to work again at eight or seven or whenever it is you leave and um I just have to be very strict with myself you know I would love to be able to give you know unlimited time and effort and energy to teaching but I can't do that um even if I didn't have a writing job I'd never be able to spend all of my life teaching because actually the 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 less time you have for yourself away from that you the the less good you are as a teacher actually teachers need time away and teachers need time to reflect and relax and um so I have to sort of make sure that I set firm boundaries on how much time I spend on my teaching because otherwise I know that would just go wildly out of control and with my writing I try and make sure that I just do a little bit every day um in the evenings I try and make sure that I do do some work um uh, on my book in the evening so that I can feel like I'm still in touch with the characters and the story and I'm making progress and then at weekends and during half terms and you know the, the longer breaks that's when I try and get big chunks done but it's difficult. It really, really is. And, um, you know, I, especially with reading, it's very, it's very hard. I wish I had more time to, to read more, but I, unfortunately, I don't. Oh, me that. too. Yeah. Yeah. I, I bet, think everyone right? feels that way, actually. Yeah. 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 I think everybody does, actually. I mean, has being a teacher influenced your writing in any way? So the most of the story, most of the story was already basically there before I became a teacher, but um it has definitely being around teenagers they have um, a very specific sense of humor I think kind of mischievous sense of humor and the way they talk to teachers and the way they talk to each other as well when the um it definitely influenced the book um there's a few scenes in the book where the kids are sort of teasing each other or being slightly cheeky or mean to each other um and 
it really reminded me, being a teacher also really reminds me of, you know, when I was a teenager as well. And on, I'm not sure if anybody listening to this will be old enough to remember what MSN is. Um, but um, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> MSN Messenger, like for anybody who wasn't around then, it is this, um, it was, I'm not sure if, I think it's not around anymore, but it was this sort of, I guess, precursor to like instant messaging now. Is it still around? I don't, I don't think so. Surely no. not. No, I think there must no. be lots of other different. There, there are so so many other messaging options now. I guess they just they got rid of it. But yeah. Um, yeah, that was basically our version of I guess Snapchat and Instagram and WhatsApp now. Um, and so they, I tried to base the conversations that the kids had off things that I went through and tried to imbue it with the spirit of the sense of humour of the kids that I have been fortunate enough to teach. Um, and it's a really, really fun job, and that was, a, and that's a really fun part of it. And I think that that writing experience in particular made me really grateful for the job that I do. I've always felt very privileged to mm. teach. I think it is a wonderful privilege to be able to teach the children of a community. Um, I know that sounds really corny, but I do think it's true. And um, writing those parts—no, that's what you want to hear, isn't it? <laughs> Well, hopefully, yeah. I don't always feel that way. <laughs> I don't yeah, feel that I imagine way, but... you have bad days, yeah. Yeah, I think all teachers have their good days and their bad days. But yeah, it's just a wonderful, wonderful job. And it was fantastic fun to be able to put a little bit of that into the book as well. Have any of your students read your novel? Have they fed back to you on that novel? Yes, they have. Um, and they've always been very nice about uh... it. Um, <laughs> Um, it's wonderful, but mortifying. Because there's sex in that book. You know, there's sex between um, people who are having a nice time, people who are not having a nice time. There's like funny sex, there's bad sex. And <laughs> to have like your students be like, oh, I read that book and I really liked it. <laughs> it's like, um, did, you, did, you, did you read the whole thing? Did, 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 yeah. did, you, did you read it all? Like, it's mortifying to know that like somebody that I teach knows what my idea of like, funny sex is it's mortifying but um it's lovely to have students have read that and to have thought about it so carefully one of them read it and said oh I can see why um I can see the influence of this book that you taught us on your writing and I was like oh wow that's that's amazing to have that kind of thoughtfulness in Very it is yeah. huge that's lovely that's so yeah I mean to be honest when I was when I was younger if I'd had a teacher who'd written you know a brilliant book that I could read I would have loved that because I mean a it reminds you that teachers actually have a life and are <laughs> living breathing experienced human beings outside of school they're not just robots but um yeah it's a lovely thing to connect over as well isn't it yeah, that's right, actually. I think it's true. I think it's one of those things that reminds you that your teachers don't sort of just plug themselves into their desks at the end of the day and sort of switch themselves on in the morning. It's one of those nice humanising things, I think. Before we talk a bit more about the book in particular or the, the content of the book and some of the characters, um, mm. I read that you really enjoyed the editing process for this book. And yeah. I think the idea of and this is something we uh, speak to quite a lot of people about at work is the idea of um, self-editing or using an editor can cause some writers a bit of worry or a bit of anxiety. You know, will my under editor understand my work? What mm. if I don't agree with their suggestions? Um, could you tell us a little bit more about that process and why you enjoyed it so much? Yeah, I'm, well, I'm just very fortunate, I think, to have the editor that I do have. Charmaine Lovegrove um, is the publisher of Dialogue Imprints, uh, Dialogue Books, the imprint that she um, set up at Little Brown. And she's just this fantastic 
fantastic person. Um, the first time I met her in She's person, a superstar, isn't she? I mean, she's incredible. She's just, I don't know how she does all the things that she does so well. I really don't, I would love to know her secret. But she, um, the first time I met her, we had this wonderful conversation about our childhoods and the way that we grew up. And I won't sort of share any of that personal stuff now, but we had this really in-depth um, conversation that made me think, oh, actually, in a lot of ways, we really understand one another and you really understand my story. One of the problems that I'd had when I was submitting this um, to agents before I found Charmaine was that I had one or two agents who simply didn't understand the life decisions that the characters made. Um, and to, mm. to meet somebody who could say, no, I know why women might a woman might make this really difficult decision or I know why a woman might make that really odd, strange decision or why somebody might be in this situation. That was fantastic. And to go into it with that basis was, I just felt so fortunate for the entire thing. Um, which is not to say that editing was always easy because <laughs> the first time, mm. you know, the first time... Um, I got some feedback from Charmaine on this very, you know, it's a very personal thing. Um, the first time I got mm. some feedback, I thought or sort of felt like she'd sort of slap me in the face and told me that my firstborn child was really ugly. <laughs> you sort of have to like, um, you sort of have to swallow your pride a little bit, um, don't, you know, because mm. it's this very personal thing that I'd worked on for years and years. And so for somebody to say, well, it's not completely perfect is like, oh my God, I should just, I should just give up now. But actually after a yeah. few minutes of sort of like deep breaths on the sofa, I sort of, um, I got around to thinking about it in a much more positive way. And really once you, I think once you leave school, um, unless you sort of stay in university um, or go into a life of writing, you don't really get that level of deep, thoughtful attention to something that you've written or created. Mm. And, that, and I just felt very fortunate to have that to have somebody who really knows books to have thought about my book so carefully in terms of what it needs um and it was this wonderful collaborative process we um talked a lot about what the book was trying to do and how far it was towards that in certain ways and we talked a lot about um the different characters and how they meshed with each other and what they and what they added to the story um and it was very very collaborative she ne there was never any point where uh, it was like, you have to do this. You need to get rid of that. You need to, it was very much like, I think this needs something. What do you think? Okay. What, or I think this is missing something. How, how do you think that could be supplied? Um, and yeah, in the, in fact, it, one the ending was one of those things. She said, um, at the time, I, I don't think the ending is quite there. I think it needs something. And I said, actually, in, I've been thinking about that as well. And the ending that the book has now is this, um, ending that I'm really happy with that I sort of said, I know you're absolutely right. The ending is missing something. What do you think of this? Um, so it just worked out in that really wonderful um, collaborative way. I was really, really, I felt really privileged to have that. That's lovely. It sounds like a perfect match. And yeah, that sort of collaborative aspect is the key, isn't it? Um, yeah. I guess some people might worry that it is, yeah, an editor's going to come in and take your baby away from you and <laughs> tell you it's ugly and it doesn't work. But actually, if, if you've got... If you've got the right person on board, then yeah. hopefully you can work together to kind of exactly. better the end result. So let's talk a bit more about the private joys of Nena Maloney. Let's start mm. with Nena herself. She's a half Nigerian teenager living in Manchester with her mother. Um, and her mother, Joni, is white and she's never known her father. And she's beginning to question uh, her identity more and more. And she's trying to connect with her Igbo Nigerian culture, which is putting a strain on this relationship with her mother. Mm. What made you want to write Nena and Joni's story in particular? 
So a lot of their experience is stuff that is just made up, but a lot of it is also stuff that I have experienced or seen. So um, I also lived with my single mum when I was a teenager. Um, I don't have a relationship with, well, with either of my parents, but, but I didn't have a relationship with my dad when um, I was Nana's age. So that was something I really knew from personal experience about what that is like and how difficult that can be and how confusing it can be. Um, and also because of the sort of childhood experiences I'd had, um, I spent a lot of time around other families and that meant a lot of the time white middle-class families. So I got this very kind of bizarrely intimate <laughs> um, knowledge of how fam very different cultures work. So Nena and her mother have this very um, close, tender relationship that partly comes from the fact that they share a lot of cultural um, references in common. They can sit and laugh about art and they like the same music, but um, for somebody who whose parents have come from a completely different continent and country when there's colonialism in the way and there is um, a language um, that maybe the children don't speak as well as the parents or maybe the parents have had wildly different growing up experiences from the children in another country as well as in another time that isn't necessarily always going to be the case um, and I was just really fascinated by that and I wanted to write about what it was like to have to grow up in that way and also I was really interested in this um, idea of the single parent. When I was growing up, um, single mother specifically, there was a lot of stigma, and I think there still is, about around being a single mother that I just found very um, damagingly unfair. It was, there was a, there were a lot of assumptions made about sort of instability and judgments made. And I didn't, I didn't want to do a sort of a PR project to kind of say everything's perfect and great because it's not. And actually, I, I hate when female relationships are portrayed as like always perfect and fun and fantastic and nobody ever falls out because no relationship is ever like that. But I wanted to portray, yeah, it's just not, it's just not convincing. It's hollow. So I, but I wanted to portray some of the, the warmth and the love that goes into that relationship and that it produces. Um, so yeah, I, I really wanted to do that. And then, also, and then also on top of that, to talk about the experience that I have had. And I think a lot of people, um, a lot of black British people will have had of sort of having to educate yourself about yourself because whether or not you have that relationship with your parents, if you live in this country, your formal education is not going to include things like empire. It's not going to include necessarily the history of the place where you have come from. That's something that you have to take it upon yourself to learn. Um, and I know what that's like. I've had to do that with the history of Nigeria and the literature of Nigeria. Um, and I wanted to portray that sort of sense of, okay, I can do this. I can take it upon myself to make that journey. Have you had a lot of people feeding back after reading the novel that, yeah, there are parts that they recognise from their own, from their own childhood or their own kind of upbringing? I imagine yeah. that struck a note with quite a few people, like lots of different elements. Yeah, I've been very fortunate to have people say things like, especially with regard to the concept of beauty, which was something I was really interested in. Um, Nana is described as beautiful, but I quite deliberately never describe what she looks like in the book. I didn't, because mm. one of the things that I'm talking about in the book is how um, beauty means so many different things to very different people. And in, involved in that um is the concept of race and racism. Beauty is not this subjective, um, shining paradigm that is completely um, inv um, inv invulnerable to racism and racial prejudice. And Nena, as a non-white woman, as a woman whose father is black, is completely aware of that and susceptible to that. And I've had some really 
moving feedback from people who said, yeah, I, I completely understand what this means. Um, so that was really valuable to me, really. It, yeah, it meant a lot to me to have somebody say that. I mean, this is a novel that does deal with some really big topics. So, you know, on top of growing up, there's race and identity and family relationships and faith and sexuality. But there's mm. there's a lightness to it, which is in part because it is so funny. Um, <laughs> and I spoke to I spoke to Eliza Clark recently about her debut novel, Boy Parts, and she was talking oh, about her decision to actually mix horror and comedy in her writing. So comedy seems to serve quite a special purpose in your book. Could you talk about your decision to use comedy in Nena's story? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, when I was writing the book, I, you're right, I did definitely want to be able to deal with the big issues that come up because for me, that's just part of life. You know, for me, I grew up religious. Um, I, you know, I'm a gay man myself, I'm black. And although I haven't had Jonathan's experiences specifically, mm. um, I think that a lot of gay men of colour, a lot of queer people of colour can relate to those experiences. So these things that I just knew that had to come up and I wanted to be able to deal with them. But at the same time, you're right, they can be quite heavy. Um, and I think that um, it's something to do with being British, if I'm honest. We have this kind of um, <laughs> squeamish aversion to displays of emotion. Um, we get, It makes us you're very so uncomfortable. Right. <laughs> it's true. I, I can't quite say exactly why that is. But I think there is this cultural thing that we get kind of uncomfortable when we start to talk about emotions in a very obvious, um, outright way. There's not that many writers in the sort of quote-unquote canon who I can think of who do that. E.M. Forster's one of them. Um, but not a lot of other writers in the sort of quote-unquote canon will do that. And I wanted to sort of sugar the pill by using comedy to do that. Um, one of the writers that I think does that really well is Sylvia Plath, actually, in um, a poem called Daddy. Oh, yeah. Yeah, she has this fantastic way of um, sort of almost undermining herself, using humour almost pathetically in that sort of Amy Winehouse way as well. Amy Winehouse also does also yeah. a similar, similar thing. And I, I really wanted to, to not just make it easier for the reader to digest stuff, but also to make it a fun journey in part. I wanted to give the reader something of what I'd been given when I've read funny books that I've adored like One Day or, or White Teeth, these things that have really just made me laugh out loud for the entire thing. I remember reading them and finishing them and feeling this profound sense of gratitude um, because it's a, I think that, I think that is a wonderful gift to give to somebody, to, to a reader. And I wanted to give somebody a little bit of what I had been given as well. So what are the key things that you hope that readers will take away from reading this book? The key things I hope readers will take away. I think that redemption is something that you achieve for yourself. Um, it would be the one of the big things that we, you know, there are stories in this book without sort of giving away the ending. There are sort of storylines where characters move towards redemption and where, and how far they get along that. It depends on the character, but I'd want to move, I'd want to, but what I was really keen to portray is that although people help each other and need each other, <clears throat> you can't, you can't change somebody ultimately. You have to, it has to be, it has to come from you. Um, and it's about, for my characters, it's about having the, being in the right place in time of your life and the courage and having the courage to sort of do for yourself in that way. And that was really important. Um, another thing I would say is that you never know what someone's going through. 
you never really know that, um, that you never know what battles somebody is fighting. Um, there are characters in this who are really doing, having a great time in some ways and having a terrible time in others. Um, and I wanted to get across the kind of the secrecy of that. Um, the word private in the title is a kind of a nod to that kind of um, loneliness, yeah. I guess, um, that, some of the, that a lot of the characters experience in different ways. Um, and a third thing, I guess, that I would like people to take away from this is that we really need each other, I think. People really need one another in a very profound way. Um, the reason I wrote sort of quite painful stories in this, quite painful storylines to do with race and, um, and sexual orientation especially, and mental health, was because we tend to talk about these things a lot of the time in terms of theory and statistics, and those things are really important, and I don't want to be dismissive of those at all, because they are really important. We do need to know how many people, um, how many queer people have um, mental health, um, serious mental health problems, as opposed to the rest of the general population, for example. But I think it's also really important to put the emotional experiences of people at the heart of those discussions. So I really wanted to talk about how actually these things are a matter of humanity and not just sort of... Um, text and um they're not just a matter of numbers and figures and percentages it's also a matter of people's feelings right at the heart of them so yeah that might have been a slightly long-winded winded answer to your very um, <laughs> sharp question no that that's that's brilliant yeah sorry i put you on the spot a bit there didn't i <laughs> <laughs> it's right. like asking what the meaning of life is a little bit oh, uh, 42 um, <laughs> yeah <laughs> actually yeah i mean i'm circling back a little bit but uh, something that I we didn't really talk about is that when when I read the title for this book and when I started reading this book, I thought, okay, this is Nena's story. And something that I wasn't expecting that I really enjoyed is that this isn't just the story of Nena. It's also the story of those around her. And we experience the, the perspective of her mother and of Jonathan, as you mentioned, Joni's friend. Um, and they all have very different backgrounds and are experiencing very personal journeys, but their lives are also very interconnected. Was that something that you had envisioned from the very start of writing this book or did those was that something that came naturally I guess those sort of multiple perspectives or was that something that happened later on did you start with Nena or did you have all of them in mind I started with Nena and then well I started with Nena and Joni and then out from there I thought these characters don't make sense unless I give more of a sense of where they come from and why they are who they are um you know Nena's life is with her mother but she's also a student at a school where she's just cleverer than everybody else and she has uh, including her boyfriend who is white and that's an interesting dynamic that I think really affects how she thinks of herself and how she thinks of him um and similarly Joni is a product of Joni's relationship with Morris, Nena's father, is a product of a very, very specific situation. Um, and I think because I do tend to, I do tend to think of these um, quite bizarre situations that I put people in, like the Nena's parents meet in this um, really bizarre way. In a um, Nena's father is um, an event is an evangelical Christian who is trying to sort of hand out postcards with biblical quotations to people just i love this so much oh thank you i'm really <laughs> proud of that scene that's so um, I yeah, that. brilliant uh, um but because of that it means that you find yourself with 
lots and lots of different people having lots of very different experiences. Um, and I thought, so it was sort of, I wanted it to be that way, but if I hadn't, I don't think I could have helped it. And um, the second book that I'm writing now has a much tighter focus and it's like, it's a very different experience to write like that about a small, a much smaller number of characters and a very different sort of story structure. Um, and I don't know if I could have done that <laughs> the first time. I think I needed to tell this kind of story first. So you're writing your second novel at the moment? I am, yeah. I'm editing it. Um, I've got a draft of it, which I'm now working on and trying to improve. Um, and that will be out in spring 2022. So I've got some time yet, but um, it's... Oh, yeah. that's exciting. It's a shorter time span than Nena, though. You haven't got the 10 years. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I couldn't somehow work that into the contract. I did I did ask for no. it. No. <laughs> 10 year respite, but... Like I need a good... Somehow. Need it, yeah. Need a good ten years to sort this out. <laughs> yeah, somehow Charmaine just didn't buy. It. Um, but yeah, it's it's lovely to have that um, faith that a second book that I could write a second book, which I wasn't entirely sure that I could have done until I did it. Um, yeah, and it's very exciting. It's a very very different story from the first in some ways, but very but some similar themes. So I'm really excited to 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 get it out into the world in a couple of years. That's wonderful. Did you have did you have an idea for another story already, or was this something that came kind of afterwards after this book was published? Um, I'd been thinking about this story for a long time, sort of when I was about three or four drafts into the first book. I was I had this idea, which is based on a rewriting of the biblical story of Ruth. Um, I'd been thinking about how I could tell that in terms of Black British characters. How could I make that? how could I sort of transport that to today? Um, and then I went from there and thought, oh, I'll change this and I'll have that different and I'll try and um, think about it in this way. Um, but I didn't want to start writing it until I knew that I'd finished the first book because I know myself, if I let myself sort of magpie in that way, I would never get anything done. So I, just, I had to sort of hold back on it, but it was really exciting. That's wonderful. And you, so you work across quite a lot of disciplines. You've written essays before and articles and plays did I hear you say you've written play yeah I wrote um yeah I wrote a radio play a few years ago um I've written I used to write poetry until I ran out of things to say in poetry as well yeah (laughs) I love that um is there anything new you'd like to try or is there you know is there anything else you've got your eye on in terms of yeah something you'd like to try your hand at that you haven't done before um I've got an idea for a stage play that I'd like to write definitely um maybe after the second book is finished um I've been thinking about that for a long time and again I had to sort of force myself not to to write it I I was um (laughs) actually in the early stages of writing my second book I had um an email drafted to my agent ready to go like I can't do it it's too hard I've got this other (laughs) idea that I'd like to do instead can we just email Charmaine and tell her I've changed my mind but I thought no I just just stick with it and make it work so um I yeah, it's it's. I'd like to I'd like to do the stage play when I've got the second book finished, and also I'd be interested in writing a screenplay. Um, I'd like. Lo- I don't know how to do it. I'd have to learn. I'd have to spend time thinking about how to do it. But um, I'd love to write a screenplay of Nena. I think that would be a really exciting thing. To oh, do. that would be great. Oh, hopefully yeah. that. Yeah, fingers crossed. Hopefully that happens. I'd love to see that on screen. That would be. Thank you. Yeah, I think that would be great. Um, the the last thing I was going to ask is. I mean, I've gathered from some of your interviews and some of the articles that you've written that you are a passionate reader. And we we did speak a little bit about that earlier and how it just never feels like you have enough time to read. Um, And I think 
I know, just never, never. That book next to my bed, that book pile next to my bed just (laughs) never gets any smaller. It's just growing all the time. Um, We've been talking about this a lot more at work in the past six months since kind of lockdown and everything, I think. Um, Our focus is often a lot on writing. And we've, we've been talking about reading a lot more and how, you know, some people have turned to reading for comfort over the last few months and mm. others have found that they've actually not been able to read at all. Like, so their reading habit has basically stopped. Did you find that the lockdown process has affected your reading habits or your writing habits? Yeah, it really has. My reading habits, definitely, because I think probably like some of the people you just mentioned, I've had a, I had a kind of a strict good vibes only reading policy yeah reading um which which i had to break because i'm also reading like parts of nigerian history which is definitely not a good vibes only kind of game um and i but i tried to sort of read stuff that was going to sort of cheer me up and sort of it was kind of um heartwarming because i just needed it it was just a very difficult time lockdown in that early stages where you just had to essentially be by yourself all the time um so I sort of wanted reading to sort of serve that purpose but it was also great to have a bit more time to read because I really wasn't anything else to do like I had to um I I just had to give myself that so that was fantastic and um writing is hard though in a vacuum writing is writing was was different it's very hard for me it was very hard for me to get that done in a vacuum um because Mm. you know I need those distractions of time spent with friends and yeah. you know breaks away from the desk in order to feel like I've got the energy to write and to feel invigorated um but it was also at the same time kind of nice to have that forced focus um it was very yeah. difficult writing I wrote more than I've I wrote faster than I've ever done before um when I was, was during that period uh, so yeah mix of both a bit from column a little from column b yeah <laughs> It's a, it was a really bizarre time, wasn't it? Because, I mean, my partner is an artist, so he, he draws and he paints. And I think he'd, at the beginning, was like, right, well, if we're stuck indoors, I'm just going to focus on this. I'm going to do so much. You know, I'm going to be pumping out all of these drawings. And then found, as you as you said, like sitting in a room, not going outside, not having anything else to stimulate him, meant that he couldn't really... He, yeah. he couldn't create anything that he was really proud of. And then he was getting really frustrated because he had all this time and wasn't using it. And it was a bit of a vicious circle. And I think, yeah, yeah I wonder if people have probably been quite hard on themselves in terms of there was a bit of pressure at the beginning. Everyone was feeling like, oh, yeah, I could use these next few months to, you know, try all those new creative things I've never done. And actually it was, yeah, it was, it was harder to do that, actually, than I think people expected. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I'm trying to think of artists who've written in isolation. I, th- I think it's Emily Dickinson mm. and Marjorie Kemp, that um, the, the, yeah, the medieval mystic. But she, she cheated. Yes. She had God do it. God did the work for her. God wrote those words. She just picked up the pen. Oh. So it's not this. It's, it's not <laughs> she the had pen. someone helping her out. Um, exactly exactly and she had a wild time doing it as well so she was she was fine um it's just a very difficult thing i think to write in isolation because you're 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 in communication with the world you are in conversation with the world when you're writing so to have nobody to have to not have anything sort of whispering in your ear is really hard so yeah props to your partner yeah as well we often have this conversation with lots of different writers in that some some writers really thrive in isolation and they love having that solitary time to themselves and mm. others really need that sense of kind of writing community do you like mm. do you like having a writing community other writers to speak to and kind of bounce mm. ideas off 
Yeah, I think I don't I don't really bounce ideas off other writers, but I, it's it's helpful to me to have writers uh, to have friends who are writers because it's nice to know people who are going through the same thing and who also get a little bit nervous when they're doing an interview or a, um, a conversation with somebody or a reading. It's nice to know other people also feel like you constantly haven't quite read enough and somebody's going to expose that you haven't read enough one day and it's all going to come mm. you know, tumbling down. It's nice to have that. I think I'd, I think I'd struggle a, a lot without that. Yeah. Well, thank you so much again for coming and having a chat with me this morning. It's been lovely to have you. Hopefully at some point we'll be able to actually welcome you to Dragon Hall in Norwich. That would be lovely. Listen, from your mouth to God's ears, because I would love that. Yeah. <laughs> we'll we'll make sure it happens. Um, thank and you. thank you again. Have a good, good weekend. Enjoy the rest of your week. Thank you so much. You too. Thank you. Thank you for listening and many thanks to Oki. If you like that interview with Oki, do check out our Early Career Writers resource pack from July, which was all about plot. And Oki very kindly contributed a video talking about how he worked with plot in The Private Joys of Nena Maloney. Go there for more Oki. If you have questions or want to get in touch with us, you can find us in all the usual places. On Twitter and Instagram, we are at Writers Centre. You can check out our Facebook page. And if you head over to our website at nationalcentreforwriting.org.uk, you can find out everything we're up to, everything we've done in the past, and sign up to the newsletter. And also, don't forget the Discord community, which is where all the cool kids hang out. And you can find an invite to that down in the show notes. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast because it helps other people to find it. Thanks again, keep writing, and we'll catch you on the next episode.